The latest version of Apple's iOS boasts a feature in its health suite to track our moods, but it also gives feedback that it says might help us better understand our feelings and regulate them. That's the cell. It also gathers valuable data that they wouldn't get from our other usage habits. So is emotion tracking actually useful for our well-being in general? And in this case, does it leave us vulnerable to manipulation? Or a bit from column A, a bit from column B, perhaps. We have with us a couple of guests today who, uh, in slightly different ways, have been immersed in this. Peter Caval is an associate professor in the Melbourne School of Psychological Sciences and co-director of the Functions of Emotion in Everyday Life, the Feel Lab. See what you did there, Peter. Very nice. Welcome. Thanks very much. Lovely to be here. Great to have you on the program. And Dr. Benjamin Targ is a lecturer and researcher at Monash University's Human Centred Computing Group. Benjamin, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, Ben, give us a really quick rundown on how you might use this new feature. So I personally have started using this new feature and see how I respond to the calls for giving my information to Apple or to my phone. I don't know it's going to Apple. I know it's going to my phone. Um, And I have to admit, after two, three days, I stopped using it. Um, I didn't see the purpose anymore. Um, The advice given to me was not there. So I had to search for it in the app if I wanted more information. And I had to go look for other ways of providing more data in hope of getting something back from the app, but it didn't happen. So I actually stopped after three days. So how um, difficult was it to to isolate the emotions that you were feeling and the intensity? Because there's a sliding scale, isn't there? Exactly. There's a sliding scale. It changes color. It's very well animated. It's very classic Apple feature, very easy to use, very intuitive. Uh, No problem at all. You turn it on, you do it, it's done. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah. Do you have yeah. to name an emotion as well? You can. You can label them. You can add several labels to them. Um, so if you choose that you had a pleasant day, for example, you can say, I'm excited, I'm happy, I'm satisfied. You can pick all these emotions. And then you can say why or what is the reason for this feeling in that moment or throughout the day. So is it your partner? Is it work? Is it exercise? Anything that made you feel good, you can name as well. Okay. And so the the problem for you was that you weren't getting that feedback loop from, from the device saying, well, this is what this means or exactly, the implications. Yeah. So the information is there. I can go back into the calendar that Apple provides and it tells me, oh, on that day you failed this, on this day you failed that. But that is it. Okay. So what? Yeah. Exactly. I know that because so I wrote yes, it down. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Peter, if we think about emotion tracking generally, how useful is that for improving our well-being? I think it has the potential to be useful. Um, We have some evidence that uh, keeping track of our feelings regularly uh, can actually help us get better at paying voluntary attention to them. So uh, we have to differentiate between when our feelings kind of capture our attention in a way that we, we don't intend, but actually kind of, you know, intentionally paying attention to them and then also getting better at differentiating them. So getting more granular in identifying what exactly precisely do we feel and labeling them. All of those things have been shown to improve or increase when we keep track of our feelings in daily life. And we think those things are components or are predictors of you know psychological well-being and and sort of optimal emotional functioning, but you know there's uh, there's a long way to go before we can be certain about those things. There's there's some evidence of them. So given that uncertainty, is it a good idea to use an app? Is there a role for apps in saying, look, you know, I can just note down what I'm feeling and I've got a record now? I think there is. Um, I think there's there's a potential role for this. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, use Apple 
devices. So this has a potential reach that um, maybe some other tools don't. It's convenient. It's always, you know, people have their phones with them at all times. Um, and it could potentially be useful um, in sort of bringing, again, this to a wider audience or bringing attention to the importance of, you know, emotional understanding or, or knowledge or intelligence, if you like, to a broader audience than perhaps other kind of approaches. Yeah. Ben, you, you look at the, the technology side of it a lot. Um, how good is our tech already at telling us how we're feeling? I mean, I feel like the, the, the advertising I get is quite targeted at particular times. I'm, I'm getting a lot more ads for things that make me happy, for example. Yes. So at detecting your personal individual emotions or feelings, it's rather bad. Still. Okay. It's very in its infant shoes. Um, but advertising is based on larger amounts of data. It's masses of people, hundreds of millions of people providing information at certain points in time throughout the day doing certain Google searches at certain points in time. Um, and that's, that is enough information to predict that you might be a good candidate for a car advertisement or something at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and that's what Peter said, collecting emotional data from hundreds of millions of potential customers. That is a new dimension that no university or no research community can provide. That is a commercial company that can provide that. And there's potential benefits for us as researchers as well, because we potentially could have, ex could have access to these large amounts of data we never had yeah, and understand populations better. But at this point, I can say it will be hard, very difficult, even for a company like Apple to detect what emotion you feel right now. They're also saying they might be able to line it up with the, uh, the bioinformatics from smart watches, for example. Would that be helpful? Yes, that is where I'm coming from, actually. So um, I uh, used to be a big proponent of this and I'm still working on it. Um, but again, that will also take time because, for example, if I say I feel excited right now being here on the radio, my watch measures certain data. Tomorrow I'm going for a run. That data looks similar to the watch and I'm not on the radio. Um, it might understand the location where I am, but it's not enough to say. Yeah. To describe my context, which is so important for emotions. Yeah, you could be in a high-stress environment exactly, for 15 yes. minutes. It in would traffic. Be the same. <laughs> yes. We're speaking with Benjamin Targ. Dr. Benjamin Targ is a lecturer and researcher at Monash University's Human-Centred Computing Group and Peter Koval, who's an associate professor in the Melbourne School of Psychological Sciences and co-director of the Feel Lab. And this is all because Apple is bringing out a new feature in its health suite that is saying, look, you can track your emotions, you can note down how you're feeling and how strongly you're feeling it and, and what your emotion you're calling it and we can give you a feedback loop that gives you an insight into your moods over time. Ben's saying, eh, didn't work for me. How about you? Is this something that you would like to do or you have been doing on another app? One person says, this is really introspective. It's all about me. We need to think of others instead. But we have heard from Peter before that emotion tracking can help people manage their emotions theoretically and uh, that can have ripple implications for people in their families and communities. Another from Rob in Urandri, mood tracking is for the well-being of Apple's profitability. It's designed so they know when you're most susceptible to certain types of ads and selling. Now, Ben, Apple's saying, look, we're going to quarantine this data from marketers. We've got really good safeguards. Should we trust them? At this point, yes, you can. Uh, I would say. Right now. Yes. Okay. Um, but again, once you provide your information, it is out there. It might be in some cloud on some server. It is stored somewhere. We cannot predict that Apple will stick to its policies in the next 10 years, 20 years. Um, and Peter and I just had this discussion this morning. Um, 
what if they say in 10 years, we want to look at your data from 10 years ago. Are you okay with sharing this? Who I wouldn't remember how I felt today, 10 years ago and would simply say, oh, yeah, probably yes. Um, but smart algorithms, AIs can learn from these amounts of data really well. So that might be a problem in the future. At this point in time, no. Well, it might also be buried in a TNCs that you had to sign for something else, so you yes. might not see it. How valuable, uh, Ben, is that emotional data to tech companies? Give us a sense of, you know, what kind of money we're talking about. Amounts of money, I hard to say, but the well, the mental health domain, the mental health business is meant to be growing into the hundreds of billions into the next years. COVID has given a new push. Um, people have learned about mental health, have learned about emotions, self-awareness. Um, and of course, companies that start building their ecosystems like Apple has their own credit card, they will maybe provide services as well that go into that domain. We know Amazon does everything basically that is related to shopping, everyday shopping. Um, and they started as a bookstore. So potentially, yeah, hundreds of millions, I would say, which is a very conservative guess. Yep. Yeah. Peter Koval, for listeners who might be thinking this is a fluffy discussion, let's talk about, um, I guess, how it can be useful to keep track of our emotions. You know, a lot of people do think, oh, emotions, they're kind of an adjunct to our lives, but they're really important, aren't they, to our functioning? They certainly are. Um, psychologists tend to agree that emotions serve important functions. So they, they provide us with information about our environment. Uh, we may not always be aware that that information is, is coming to us and a tool like this could potentially sort of increase people's awareness. But yeah, how we feel uh, is, is, is something that directs our thinking, our attention, helps us make decisions. You know, we like to think of ourselves as rational, but actually our decisions are and you know, should be guided uh, to a large extent also by our feelings, by our, that, what we call the affective component of psychological experience. So they're, they're very important. Um, they're not always helpful. That's the other thing. Um, so it is important to be aware when emotions are maybe interfering with your goals or your concerns in a particular moment. And, and again, this kind of uh, tracking or keeping being aware of emotions could, could help people uh, better manage their emotions in theory. Could it help us make better decisions if we're aware that, you know, sometimes we feel this way and it might have implications for our spending decisions, just to pluck an example at random? Sure. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that Ben was reflecting on his experience using this, this feature. Um, perhaps in future iterations, it'll actually provide more kind of active feedback. But at the moment, people can go in and have a look at you know, what are the, you know, things that they think are associated with different kinds of feelings they've experienced. And and that could potentially be helpful. But I, I think we also have to be careful of not becoming overly regulated uh, in terms of sort of curating our emotional lives so that we only experience pleasure uh, or pleasant kinds of feelings all the time. That's That's also not the goal, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. If you feel this uh, kind of internal pressure to push that slider up to very pleasant, otherwise there's something wrong with you. Right. Or to avoid any kinds of activities that might make you feel unpleasant. If you see that doing certain things makes you feel, say, anxious, um, that may be a signal that you need to think about those those activities, what you're doing, who you're spending time with. But our, our, our goal should not be to avoid all kinds of negative feelings because, as I said, they actually serve important functions to alert us to things that are important to us in our environment. What about that idea that the uh, the um, software might say, okay, I'm seeing a, a low mood over a few days, maybe you're at risk of depression. Is that a useful thing if it could then kind of say, look, here's some links? 
Absolutely, yeah. So, um, and there are some resources that you can find in the in this health app, uh, which allow people to then complete a uh, a questionnaire. That's it's more of a kind of symptom questionnaire that could assess or be useful in assessing people's risk of depression and anxiety in particular. Uh, and then there are contacts provided to people to reach out to relevant you know resources and for support. So yeah, that certainly could be uh, a useful kind of application of this feature. Um, but again, I would be a little bit cautious because maybe people are likely to start using this feature, at least some people, when they're struggling. And um, it may not be that easy to interpret what they see when they look at their own feeling data. Um, it, it may be surprisingly sort of concerning to them. Uh, we, we know, for example, there's something called the initial elevation bias in research on emotional experience in daily life. People's reports of particularly negative feelings or symptoms of mental illness or psychopathology tend to be elevated or increased in the initial period when they start reporting and then they sort of stabilise. So people should be aware that what they initially see may not be representative. Okay, so they, they might be experiencing an entirely real uh, period of depression, but people kind of get used to the idea and are less worried about it? There's some evidence of that, yes. Um, there's also some evidence that it depends on the person. So, for example, there's, there's a study showing that for people who are currently experiencing depressive symptoms, reporting how they feel more often can actually make them feel worse over time. Wow. Um, so we do have to be careful about, um, you know, who uses this feature and how. And I think getting advice from, particularly if you really are concerned that you may have a mental illness or symptoms of a mental illness developing, getting support from, uh, you know, a qualified professional is probably the best way. And, and having using this feature with that support. Yep, talk to a human. We're talking to two really interesting humans today about this topic that I'm finding very, very fascinating because I think it speaks to the way we interact with our technology and what the future might hold. Peter Koval is an Associate Professor in the Melbourne School of Psychological Sciences, Co-Director of the FEEL Lab, and Dr Benjamin Targ is a lecturer and researcher at Monash University's Human Centred Computing Group. A couple more texts. I'm not sure this is a good thing. It removes our capacity to monitor ourselves without technology. I use a smartwatch that's given me false data. It's a big tech push for more data and therefore more money. Also this, what about a good old-fashioned diary, says Jen, to put down your feelings? It's so dangerous to put all this stuff online. Why aren't people wise to this by now? Yeah, I do feel like every successive email I get saying your shopping account has had a data breach is, is making me more and more wary. Um, just quickly, Peter, Apple's new feature allows people to record um, how they feel right now, and they're calling that emotions, or overall today, which they're calling moods. Is that a useful distinction? I think the, the distinction between emotions and moods is potentially useful, but it doesn't neatly map onto that time frame distinction that you mentioned. So the way that uh, a lot of psychologists and other researchers think about emotions as opposed to moods is that emotions are directed at some specific event or object in the world. So you feel you know, angry at something or someone who's perhaps blocking your goal, uh, whereas you, know, you might just be in a grumpy mood. Um, now, it's not to say that the mood is not caused by anything, but we're not really aware of, consciously aware of what gave rise to our moods. And, and Apple actually does explain that distinction when you go through and, and read um, some of the psychoeducation material that's it's in, included in the health app. But um, the reporting how you feel right now versus how you felt overall doesn't really neatly map onto that. Um, we can think about a person's momentary feeling as being either an emotion or a mood. And likewise, people can recall 
uh, their overall feelings across the day or a longer time frame. We also know that uh, those two types of reporting actually produce slightly different results. So people do tend to overestimate how particularly how unpleasant they felt over longer time periods compared to if you look at the the average of their momentary reports. Yeah, but I was just thinking about the experience of grief, which is a can be a very long period of feeling pretty awful, but with moments of, you know, daily joy interspersed in it too. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing to think about that distinction. Um, let's talk a li- bit more about the mechanics of it, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've seen lots of instances of biases emerging in the training of AI. Would the usefulness of this kind of thing depend a bit on who had come up with these categories? I mean, I'm sure there's cultural differences encoded in how people express and label emotions too. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, and especially... When it comes to sensors, we for a long time we use cameras to read emotions off of people's faces. But we know that people express emotions differently on their face. Um, so now we're going away away from these more um, direct signals. So we look at underlying signals such as heart rate, uh, heart rate variability. So the different the, the time difference between two heartbeats, for example, um, which is hidden to us. We are not aware of this, but sensors can read this. Um, but there is a big risk of bias. And I actually would like to connect to something Pete said that um, we tend to report negative emotions more because they stick more. So I, I realize I don't report pleasure or pleasant information or pleasant days to Apple or to my app. So I'm worried that in the long run, we collect a huge amount of negative moods and feelings, whereas the information about positive days, good days, um, somehow are not reported. And if we use this data to train an AI, for example, they learn that we're all depressed. We're like <laughs> the whole world is depressed every day and sad and that would be bad. And an AI cannot differentiate this because it just looks at the data we fed it. Um, so yeah, so there is a big risk for bias. Does that mean, do you feel like AI, AI will ever be able to tell accurately how we're feeling? The look on your face, I'm like, well, oh, what has she asked me here? <laughs> yes. Um, I do think it may be possible in a, in the far future. Not now and not in the next 10 years. There's just too much information that has to be processed in a very short moment um, that no computer can do right now efficiently. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's that's. I think our listeners are going to be quite relieved to hear that. I don't have to worry about doing this. Another text has popped in. I think this is interesting, though I wouldn't use it, but it doesn't sound useful unless you also have the self-reflection to work out the why of pleasant and disturbing emotions and the skill to then determine how to act as a result. And we were talking before about the need to talk to a qualified human being if you are struggling or are worried that you might be struggling. Peter, how do we know where our feelings are coming from and which feelings we should listen to? That's the million dollar, or maybe these days we need to increase that number, yeah, the million, million dollar question. Um, and, and just also to connect to something Ben just said, I think that, um, you know, I'm not sure about the the, uh, uh, the potential for AI, but I think that our brains are actually doing precisely what Ben suggests AI may be able to do in the future, which is they're, they're receiving all this information from the external world, but also from our internal milieu. This is one theory of of how we construct emotions. All that information is taken and our brain constructs in a way uh, the best possible prediction of how we are feeling as a sort of useful guide for our behavior. Um, You know, according to this theory and many others, our brains are basically geared towards keeping us alive and, uh, you know, protecting us from threats, approaching opportunities and so on. So 
there's no right answer to how we're feeling at any given moment. It's just our brain's best guess, if you like. And we learn over time um, whether those guesses are useful, whether they kind of help us to navigate the environment and make good decisions and behave in appropriate ways or not, and to differing degrees. So some people may be better or more effective at doing this. Um, based on their learning history, based on all sorts of different different factors, so the the question is is difficult to answer. We don't sometimes we don't know whether to trust our feelings uh, and whether we should use them as guides. Um, but you know we learn over time. Often they do help us make decisions. They help us you know uh, narrowly avoid some accident or uh, you know seek out something that actually makes us feel good and contributes to our well-being. Yeah, gut so, feelings. Gut feelings. Are, yeah, crucial. That's right. Yeah, it's we could talk about this for a long time, but we're going to have to wind up. I'm afraid. Thank you both so much for coming into the studio today. Great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for having us. Really a pleasure. Peter Koval is an associate professor in the Melbourne School of Psychological Sciences and co-director of the Functions of Emotion in Everyday Life Lab, the Feel Lab. And Dr. Benjamin Targ is a lecturer and researcher at Monash University's Human Centred Computing Group. And I think the take home was you don't have to rush out and use this app. You can if you want to. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.